I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Big Squid, where today we're back with not only Ben Elwood, but also our science fiction podcast, Space Podacy. Today we're discussing the Alfonso Curon masterpiece, Gravity. Great to have your company on today's first episode of Space Policy for 2022. Um, FYI, I did say last week we were returning to David Lynch's work with Ben, but uh, that episode, the uh, Blue Velvet episode, was recorded at the end of last year, and then we recorded Gravity, and we actually hadn't seen each other all year. We actually hadn't seen each other for close to about six weeks. So the start of this podcast is us kind of touching base and catching up. And I thought, well, it'd be a little bit weird if you heard the David Lynch podcast this week. And then next week, we're talking as if, hey, what's new? And you'd be thinking, uh, are you guys insane? Like, did you forget that you caught up last week? So I just decided uh, pretty much after <laughs> I announced that it was going to be David Lynch uh, that uh, I would flip it. And instead, you will get the Blue Velvet episode next week. So keep an ear out for that one. Uh, you might also be aware that last year we intended Space Policy to be a limited series. We wanted to see what you thought. We wanted to see if you enjoyed it. And then the initial idea was to bring it back as a, another limited series. And then we just thought, well, why don't we just make it a regular part of this feed? And and we, we actually did think about spinning it off into its own feed. But then, you know, like if you like the podcast, then you have to subscribe to not only Big Squid, but you also have to subscribe to a new one in Space Policy. And there's all these different things that I want to do. So why don't we just keep it 
all in the one feed. So I essentially I'm treating Big Squid like it is its own channel where you can find all of our work and therefore that just saves you the hassle of having to follow us across all these different sites. So from now on, on this feed, this is the Big Squid podcast and uh, you will get regular Big Squid episodes. They're the ones which have uh, people being interviewed. They're the ones where we might have one-offs. We might uh, just in that section, you know, bring back uh, Rove and I doing Doctor Who as an example, you know, or we might do a Marvel series with that. So we'll just have the normal Big Squid. Uh, We're rechristening our uh, look into certain directors' works. We're calling that the Deep Dive Directors. Uh, So you will have that here. Uh, The Osploitation segment that I do with my mate Garth Jones past the AML is now an official ongoing part of this podcast we have the whole year planned out so that will become a regular part of what we do here and very soon we'll be launching the storytelling aspect to the show beautiful tales for the disenchanted that is going to be an anthology of short stories that i have written and uh, the very wonderful and creative producer Sean Allen is going to be helping me out with that. So that's coming up really soon. I'm really pumped for that part of the podcast as well. I I, I just feared as uh, someone who likes to think of themselves as creative that I was doing more reporting on other people's work and not doing enough of mine. So now with this, uh, you know, I have an outlet as well. So Anyway, we have a lot of things planned for 2022. It's going to be a big year, and uh, I really hope you enjoy what we have planned for you. I'm excited. I'm really excited, and everyone I work with is pretty pumped as well. Uh, I've also been hard at work revamping my website, justinhamilton.com.au, so if you'd like to check that out, please head over to it, and especially the crazy artwork by my friend Andrea Beatrice. She asked if she could paint me for a competition. I said yes. I knew she was talented. She has knocked it out of the park. Uh, I'll put up the original artwork on the Big Squid Facebook page so you can have a proper look of it there but it is the landing page for my new revamped website so and there's a little link uh, we we credit Andrea so if you'd like to click on that and see more of her work please do that as well and also there's more to come with the site we're not finished we're still working on it and uh, we're going to be putting more entertainment in there for you to enjoy But it's mostly there. So you can go over there and you can check out blogs that have been written in the past. And uh, yeah, there's a couple more things to come. As you might also be aware, we finally launched our Patreon website late in 2021. Very late, actually. And uh, when you sign up, you have access to scripts, bonus podcasts, and an opportunity to contribute to some episodes as well. One thing every Patreon subscriber receives is a whole podcast dedication. And our shout out today goes to one of the nicest guys in the Big Squid community, Tim Unwin. Tim has been a sweetheart in all of his correspondence and is the type of person that makes you feel really fulfilled as an artist. And he's also a great example of the broader community. Everyone over there is fantastic. We have a lot of fun. Uh, I do kind of dip in and out, uh, not because uh, I don't 
want to be in there, but sometimes, you know, trying to get everything prepared, uh, uh, you know, has me um, uh, focused in other places. But every time I come back in, it's bubbling along and they don't need me. The community doesn't need me. They just go ahead and are sending uh, references and, uh, and discussing other things that they're watching and enjoying. So... It's great. Everyone over there is friendly, smart, funny, engaged. You can join too. All you need to do is request. It's private because often people are talking about TV shows and movies with spoilers and they don't want to ruin it for anyone who's just flicking past. We've got the normal Facebook page for that where you can just check to see when your, uh, the latest podcast is available. But otherwise, you can go into the private page and have a chat with everyone there. I really couldn't ask for more from the community and also I couldn't ask for more from Tim thanks for being so great and I hope you enjoy this episode if you'd like to check out what else you can receive uh, as being a part of the Patreon head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore big squid and oh actually in fact the big squid community recently voted in a poll for me uh, asking uh, there were a few options and uh, what I'm going to do is reproduce all the scripts from our first season of this podcast that covered the Watchmen HBO series and graphic novel. So if you'd like to read all of that, and man, they were some dense scripts. Like, you may have heard me say on this podcast, the uh, when I was preparing for the first episode, I spent three hours on the first five to seven minutes of the first episode, and I thought, what have I done? Oh my God, this is a disaster. But it was great. So if you sign up now, you will uh, be signing up at the perfect moment to uh, check all of that stuff out and all of the little Easter eggs and the asides and everything I noticed in that series as well. Right. Now, strap yourself in as we depart on an outer space mission with engineer Dr. Ryan Stone and astronaut Matt Kowalski. It is a fairly routine mission until a Russian missile destroys a satellite and suddenly high-speed space debris turns the situation into a matter of life and death. Time to discuss gravity. Home, Dr. Stone. Lake Zurich, Illinois. The 
Is there somebody down there looking up, thinking about you? I got a daughter. A little girl with brown hair. Tell her that I'm not quitting. been too long it has been too long and you're a completely different person now like i don't even know who you are like you just (laughs) walked into like it's only been like maybe five weeks or something like that has it been that long Uh, about a month five weeks that's brutal not seeing you for that long we were we were lucky because Uh. it's in a very dead and weird point in time so it doesn't feel like it i only just kind of worked it out the other night yeah uh but uh, you know, Christmas is what Christmas is. You had a you had a much more brutal uh, festive season than I did. It for was... me, it was just kind of lounging around watching movies. For you, it oh, was like an, a cyclical trauma. Like <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like it genuinely was just ridiculous. To you know, going home <laughs> is always tricky because you haven't seen yeah. family and friends for a long time. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Invariably, it's people, and this is completely fine, it's taking turns and talking at each other because mm. it's like, oh, I remember this and I had this to tell you and yeah, I had yeah, this. Yeah. And also, a lot of my friends are just in tough places, like mm. a lot of people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you take that on board yeah. uh, as best you can and as much as you should, yeah. but it's, it's a lot. And then... Uh, I was. It, it kind of takes about. If I say I'm going back to Adelaide for two and a half weeks, it yeah. takes about four or five days to just kind of shake everything off and relax and get into the swing of things. Can I ask, returning mm. home? Do you after like a long time of not having been back? Do you feel like you need to kind of present your best self in kind of almost like a performative way? Oh yeah, no, I'm like yeah. especially when you've got friends who are struggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You bring the fun. Like, I took three of my friends to see Matrix. And and one of those, we did a double movie day. We went and saw uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And then we saw Matrix and had a really good, really good time, actually. Yeah. Ate the worst food I have eaten in (laughs) possibly maybe 10, 15 years. Good. Where we, uh, we were all super high, got out of the movies. It's COVID times in Adelaide. There is one place open. It's a Savlaki place that's been there for like 28 years, which used to be the world of delicious. And we went in and it took us ages. There were only four of us. It took us like 40 minutes to get our food. And between us, we all got a a, a Savlaki of some sort and a little thing of chips. And I reckon all up collectively, we ate three quarters of a Savlaki. (laughs) And had seven chips, and we were high. How bad is that food? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the worst. I imagine food in it had world. that film of, um, you know, when the fat starts to solidify over the over food like that. And oh, you can kind of see the film. Yeah, it was definitely on the the meaty food, and mine was just forget it. It was like forget it. What did you put in this uh, pita bread? Did you just put in some dirt, some twigs, and rub your balls on it? Because <laughs> it is the driest thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> 
and you, like you took one bite of the chips and it was like you know uh, I'll never forget uh, in uh, where was it it was somewhere in regional Victoria uh, I, I did a little tour when the um, when the droughts were on. The, uh, there was uh, relief money for to go and do comedy shows, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember them telling me that the lake had um, there was this weird smell in the town, and the lake had dried up, and then all the fish died there. And yeah. then to move, you know, they had to go through with nets and uh, you know drag the dead fish away <sighs> to bury them. But because they'd been out in the baking sun, they just went up in, into dust as soon as they were touched. And that's what the chips were like. You took one bite and it was just like, where's the chip? Why am I covered in this dust? <laughs> this tastes like the apocalypse. It does taste like the apocalypse. <laughs> but then, were, you, were you hanging out with Mickey? I, Mick, Mickey was uh, one of the people who I was with. Oh, how's Mickey? We were having a great time. Like, Mickey's in great... I miss him so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mickey D was in fine form. Mm. Um, but, you know, like, when, when I say stresses, like, my friends are parents, you know, and they've got mm, all sorts mm, of mm, things mm, going mm, on. Mm, and mm. so... And then I finally caught up with one of my oldest friends. I was very careful when I went out as well. Like, I only went to people's homes and mm. etc. But my friend was a that I hung out with for a whole night. Like, he picked me up from my mum's place. We drove to his place, which was, like, 25 minutes away. Yeah. Uh, picked up some food, went to his sister's place for dinner. Yeah. That was another 15 minutes in the car. Sat next to him at dinner. Sat next to him uh, on the lounge afterwards. Drove home. Made out. Well, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a make-out session, but it was definitely 45 minutes in the car talking about his stresses in his life. Yeah. Like, and there's Heavy a, breathing. Mate, there were some serious stresses, you know, and I'm sitting there going, you know, he's mm. my pal, like, so mm. no worries. And yeah. then two morning, uh, then I caught up with uh, uh, friends the next day, and then the next morning... He'd been a close COVID case. Uh, like, he got COVID. Yeah. Like, and so, because mum's double vaccinated but has a weak autoimmune system, right. I immediately booked a flight home. Oh, yeah. And, and I came home immediately, went straight into isolation, yeah. went and got tested. Somehow didn't end up with COVID. So, yeah. I am the poster boy for uh, getting that booster shot. Because I, I got the booster on the day I got in. Yeah. To Adelaide, and it yep. was like nine days later I caught yeah, up with yeah, him. Yeah. So that must that thing must have fucking kicked in yep. just as I started hanging out with him, and he's given off all the COVID vibes. Can I say, speaking to you around that time, your brain sounded like it was made of pure cortisol. <laughs> you did not yeah. sound happy. <laughs> no, I was exhausted. Yeah. It, it was like I didn't have a holiday, yeah, and so you end up not. back in your apartment, yeah. and you're trying to fight everything. Yeah, uh, like fight trying to work you know yeah. like i knew it was important not to work yeah and then just weird like i've had you know two friends uh get very depressed and mm. what that can lead to mm. and they had to kind of help out in mm. those scenarios uh you know i've had uh, uh you know someone getting angry at me because i hadn't replied to an email that they sent around christmas and it's like yeah it's fucking Christmas. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. We all have shit on. Yeah. And then as soon as I kind of called them out, they were very apologetic. And now it's like, fuck, can you stop sending me emails uh, telling me how great I am? Like, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all fine. But all of it's stressful. Yeah. And, and you know what? We're like three and a half weeks in. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Oh, it's okay. Like, it's fine. I'm glad Maybe that we're Maybe you're getting all this. the stress and the shit out of the way in the first quarter of the year. Right. And then the next three quarters, well... Whatever, whatever, however long this stressful period lasts. Yeah. Yeah, 11, 12 is going to be uh, magical for you. Who knows? Like, maybe. Like, maybe. Like, I'm, 
<laughs> like I'm still here. Like I've endured it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've also been told that I'm... Um, my sugar levels are just a bit too high, so I have to I have to fucking lose weight. Even though you mentioned this when I when we first oh. met up, and I just can't even say I don't know how much weight you can lose. I've got to like I've got to like I've, you won't have any mass if you lose more weight. Well, I think I've got to get to that point where you're explaining to people who haven't seen me for a while when I'm they see sick. me, you say, "No, no, he's fine. <laughs> he's had to do this." But he's fine. I think you... May I say, I saw uh, someone posted a clip of you from... It must have been 20 years ago. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I know what your reaction is going to be. You're going to so look funny. at that clip go, Oh, fuck, look how young I look. I maintain, and I swear on a stack of Bibles, you look infinitely better now than you did back then. Oh, okay, you thank you. You look fucking great now. Well, I fucking wish they put me on TV now. Maybe, <laughs> maybe people would be into it. Who's that young whippersnapper? Meanwhile, you've gotten... You, you're what? Got your licence. <laughs> right? Is that right? Is that what you were yeah, saying? I decided at 40, it's time to... It's time for Baby Driver yeah. to learn how to drive. Maybe I should get my licence for 50 and we could just become Hoon Brothers. <laughs> We can go on road trips together, yeah. Dom and Louise style. Great. Uh, yeah, it was... That is, uh, you know what? That is exactly the way we have to go out. Dude, <laughs> Holding that's... hands off a cliff. Oh, whenever people talk about, oh, when, when we're living in Mad Max, I'll do anything to survive. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I'm driving off a cliff with yeah. you, Thelma and Louise style. Yeah. In a big road dog yeah. fucking Mad Max car. And just before we hit, <laughs> just before we hit the ground, I'll say, you know, this reminds me of a David Bowie song. <laughs> You'll be like, this reminds me of that scene from Inception where they backed off to go to the bridge really <laughs> no, slowly. No, 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 no. Don't make me go into eternity th- with this. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, so I've had, uh, I've had not a, not a fear of driving, but I'm generally uncomfortable in cars. Yeah. And I think that was a product of, I never had my license as a teenager, so anytime, other than when I was driving with my mum, I was either in the car with my grandparents, who, I God, I love them to death, but right. it was a harrowing ordeal, uh, being in the car with my 85-year-old grandfather, and any time a truck was in the lane next to us, he would just stop in the middle of a freeway. He would just right. stop the car, and right. people were screaming by, like, fuck you! Uh, and if it wasn't that, it was in the car with my teenager. Teenage friends, and this was like you know late nineties Northern Beaches, right? Right. You know, going fucking ninety k's an hour around a hairpin turn, having no idea if we're about to head on with someone. Friend in the boot, you know, just crazy shit. Um, So basically, anytime I got in a car, other than with my mum, my mum's an outstanding driver. uh, I was basically staring straight ahead at the road going, we're going to die. This right. is how I die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> fucking not really. And also combine that with the ADHD and the lazy, just general laziness, the whole idea of committing to concentrating on sitting in a piece of heavy machinery and not killing myself or someone else. Yeah. Seemed like a commitment I couldn't get on board with. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, I got my L's. I had like two lessons. Yeah. And it just wasn't for me. I, I, I was just saying to you before we turn the mics on, I think uh, I turned 40 a couple of months ago and you know we talked a lot about it in the lead up mm. that I was not having a midlife crisis or an existential break, but it was that de- it's definite... Weird. It's weird. It's that you don't want to... You, you know, it's very easy to go, it's just a number, but you definitely feel, and I, I assume it's this way for every decade going forward now or every five years, who knows, uh, but there's, it's a definite juncture point where you're like... Uh, a lot of the stuff that used to bring me pleasure doesn't necessarily bring me pleasure anymore. Yeah. 
my brain is just different. I'm a yeah. lot mellower, yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, you, you can account, attest yeah. to that. Uh, a lot mellower than I once was. And, you know, maybe it's time to do things that were previously uncomfortable or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Just do new things. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I got my <laughs> got my L's. And that's really off the back of wanting to do a lot more hiking and camping. Yeah. And you can't hike and camp on public transport. Yeah. Uh, so I did a lot of that last year, but I was always at the behest of the whim of my friend when he wanted to go. And also just being a useless lump sitting in the passenger seat while he does all the driving. So I got my L's late last year, put it off, put it off. And then I was in the car with mum the other day. She's like, do you want to have a go? And I had a go, and I ended up driving 250Ks. Jesus. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> like, it was fucking awesome. In a circle? Or like- no, no, no. We are, so we drove to Katoomba, which is in New South Wales, yes. for any international listeners. Uh, and I kind of just got behind the wheel in back streets mm-hmm. and just got my bearings and like, okay. And yeah. then, uh, and you know, we had the deal. Like, anytime you feel uncomfortable, pull over and we'll yep. swap. Uh and she's like, do you want to just turn onto a road? I was like, yeah, okay, I'll turn onto a road. And like two hours later, we were in Oberon. Yeah, great. Which is like 80Ks from there. Yeah. And I, you know, I was never cocky. Like I was no. like eyes ahead, like yeah. really, you know, but you know, I never went over the speed limit or really under the speed limit. Just felt really calm. Yeah. And that, a big part of that was mum. She was just really... And again, we couldn't have, we were laughing going, we couldn't have done this when I was a teenager. Right. Because we fucking hated each other so much. Yeah, it would have yeah. been awful. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, we're very close and yeah. she was just super calm and encouraging. Um, and so I walked around the Oberon pine forests and she's like, do you want to drive back to Katoomba? I was like, yeah, when we got to Katoomba, I just wanted to keep going. And yeah, great. So it was like all up. So from Oberon to back to Sydney, it was like 180 k's. Yeah, right. Wow. And it went from like windy country roads and then, you know, eventually on the freeway in the city back in Newtown. And the whole time it just felt it felt really good. Oh, great. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Yeah. And, you know, that, that great feeling that's so rare uh, as you get older where you can really feel parts of your brain lighting up. Yeah. Like, oh, new skill. Yeah. Absolute concentration. Like, yeah. You know, and just that realisation, which I'm sure every driver listening to this will laugh at, like, how could you not realise it? But like, oh, I could do some real damage. <laughs> like, right. one one second of fucked up concentration oh, or one yeah. inch of me steering the wheel in the wrong direction and it's carnage. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just this feeling of, like, deep responsibility was really nice as well. That's such a funny thing. The uh, I never got my licence just because we didn't have a lot of money and mm. uh, by not having a car it allowed you to do other things totally and then when I you know got into stand up yeah. there was still no money mm. and so uh, often all my money was going into being able to pay to go interstate and find somewhere to stay to go and do gigs to build your yeah, yeah, reputation yeah. etc and it wasn't until like I was about 30 and my girlfriend at the time she said I know why you don't have your license and I said oh why is that she said because you're scared to get it now because you're scared that you could cause an accident or you could hurt someone and I sat there and as she said that I was like I hadn't thought that before, but now I'm thinking it. Like I was, like I just hadn't done it, but now, yeah. like now, it is the first thing I think of. Oh, but, but it's absolutely the case because it was that also that realization of like, you know, if anyone was if anyone was starting to get blasé, it was mum. 
Right. Like, after a few hours, she's goofing off and we're listening to the fucking Pulp Fiction soundtrack and she's, like, dancing and clapping her hands and shit. And I'm like, you need to chill the fuck out, mate. Right. She's like, what? Now you know how I feel when you're... And I'm like, no, no, the difference is you've been driving 50 years, you fucking yeah. maniac. Yeah. I've never done this before. Chill the fuck out. Yeah. It's, like, not, it's not like I'm going to get you to do your first gig and I'm going to heckle <laughs> yeah, you. Exactly. It's yeah. like, you know, like, my reflexes are not what they were. Mm. And, so, and, and, like, I think that's the... I mean, again, I didn't drive as a teenager, but... I think what you lack in that immediacy of reflex that you might have when you were younger, you more than make up for in just your sense of moral responsibility and the understanding of your own limitations. Yeah. You know, of like, fucking focus, man. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't fuck around. This is like really serious. Um, Yeah, it was really interesting. But, But the whole time acutely aware of like, this is not a game. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, occasionally I would start feeling cocky just because, you know, you know, you don't do something for your whole life and then all of a sudden you're doing it and it's like, oh, I've just driven fucking 100 k's. Yeah. Can't believe it. Yeah. You know, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but all it, all it would need was the slightest little, not even jolt of the wheel, like yeah. moving it an inch and go, whoa, like slightly off the lane. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, it had, it was a, it was, I... Very similar to comedy in the sense of that real-time mechanism that's constantly checking you every right. couple of seconds. It was like, no, 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 no. Like, focus. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Because if you go veer off a little bit, you're in a world of pain. Like, there are good places to get cocky and then yeah. a- a learn a lesson. Like, yes. my friend who had never played poker before, first three huh. times played just won yeah. all the money yeah. and literally at one point said, I think maybe... This is a proper skill. And then <laughs> the fourth time they played, lost quite a bit of money, like, you know, yeah, relatively, relatively speaking, yeah. um, because uh, mm-hmm. guess what it was? You got some good cards, right? That's all it was. Uh, driving, no time to get cocky. <laughs> no, but I, but I really can see how it would be nice. Yeah. The, the, I guess the, the big difference that I found was for someone like my mum who's been or anyone that's been driving for a long time it's like I, 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 I think that the the vehicle becomes an extension of your body yes you don't even think about it as separate yep whereas for me it was very much acutely aware the whole time I am operating a machine yeah this right. machine is not an extension of me yet yep. I am still you know uh, yeah that makes sense because you, you know you don't know it as well yeah. in that way yeah yeah but it was also interesting how certain things just became automatic very quickly yeah Indicating just wasn't even it just automatic you know very autonomic function straight away. I, I can't believe I'm even anyone listening to this as a driver is like you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, but like I, uh, I drove a car. Yeah, but there's heaps of things that people haven't done. That... Yeah, that's right. Have you ever gotten up on stage and made 300 people laugh, motherfucker? Yeah, like have you? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Well, we'll use that as a segue uh, into we. You may have forgotten. This is a podcast about the movie Gravity. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it feels like a it feels like a good segue, knowing to well, we haven't seen each other for a while. We yeah, gotta catch exactly. up, you know. And everyone should hear it. Yeah. So, <laughs> what's the point of having a friendship if it's not recorded? <laughs> yeah, that's like that's that's how most comedians feel. Uh, when did you first see this movie? Uh, when it, the year it came out, whatever year that was, 2012. Yeah. Uh, and I was unfortunate in that I'd, uh, I'd been told to see it at IMAX and I put it off and put it off and put it off. And so I saw one of the very last sessions uh, on not an ideal screen. It was right. at the, one of the smaller cinemas in the Orpheum, but still had a complete 
nervous breakdown. Oh, watching yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. So but if, the whole time there was that little thing in the back of my head going, ooh, if you're watching this in 3D at IMAX, you'd yeah. be shitting yourself right now. So I saw this at the Melbourne IMAX in ooh. 3D, and uh, I was with Limo and Peter Hellier. Yeah. And two things came from seeing the movie. One was at the end of the film, I turned around to speak to Limo and I, my jaw was locked because I'd been <laughs> clenching like, a, like I could speak. But it was like, oh, God, I'd been clenching yeah, yeah, for yeah. so long. Yeah. But uh, I bumped into, do you remember the comedian Asher Trelevin? Who he kind of. Uh, yeah. 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 I haven't seen him in ages, but Asher gave the, perf- the perfect review, the best review I've ever heard for <laughs> any movie. Yeah. So we walked out and I saw Asher. I said, oh, man, you just saw the film. What do you think? And he said, I had a panic erection for the whole movie. <laughs> and I was like, panic erection. They are two of my favourite words to ever put together. Uh, so if you ever hear me talking about panic erections... Uh, I've that heard is you say that, that phrase many times. It is, uh, I, I always try to give respect to Asher Trelevin, who uh, g- gave me that term. But... Um, so in our segment, Google Me Chuck, where we find out the top responses when you Google the movie Gravity, you get, is Gravity is Gravity movie a real story? By the way, anytime I read something out, if it sounds like I don't know how to speak, I'm reading it out yeah, exactly how it was written. That's how the internet speaks. Is Gravity movie a real story? How accurate is the movie Gravity? Is Gravity a good film? Why Gravity movie is so expensive? (laughs) (laughs) Who gives a shit? Uh, Segment, first context. These are some of the sci-fi movies that came out before and after. So this came out in 2013. So 2010, you get Inception. 2011, you get the remake of The Thing. 2012, you get Prometheus. Was that that long ago, Prometheus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of keen to go back to that. Like it's... All right, we'll do it. No, no, but not... But hmm. it's a movie that I watch probably once every 18 months, hoping that it's improved with time. And everything that's good about it is still great, which is visually not it's like outstanding. Uh, anyway, that's uh, 2014 Interstellar. Yeah, very good, very 2015, good. The Martian. 2016, Midnight Special, which is a movie I was going to suggest. I like Midnight Special. So do I, yeah. Little grungy uh, little cheap movie. It's good. Uh, segment, The Year That Was. These are some of the sci-fi movies that came out in 2013. So this is interesting. Her. I was going to suggest Her for this season. Yeah. But we, we, we'll see. Let, let's have a chat about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great yeah. movie. I've only ever seen it once. Man, I my friend uh, Claire had, like, I walked out and said, how good was that? And she just went off because the movie reminded her of her ex and how weak he was. And I was like, ah, okay. Uh, Iron Man 3, Man of Steel, Oblivion, uh. Pacific Rim, Snowpiercer, mm. World War Z and The World's End. So it's a pretty... It's a, it's a it's diverse big. lineup. Yeah, 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 and it's big as well. Yeah. Now, normally, this is a segment that we do at the end, but I'm going to move this to now because uh, we usually end with the segment, sum it up, what does this movie mean to you? But yeah. I kind of feel like this film is, part of discussing it, is actually discussing what it means yeah, to you. Yeah, you know? 100%. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to go first and tell us what uh, this movie means to you? Yeah, uh, like, from the first time I ever saw it, I, I don't know if I heard, because remember there was a big backlash 
fairly soon after it got released. You know, oh, like was it? Ne- well, not backlash against the movie, but like Neil deGrasse Tyson was putting out tweets like, uh, this doesn't have mate, I've got some, yeah, I've got some squid bits about um, that. And that kind of, I think that narrative caught on a little bit of like, you know, uh, fucking that's, that it's scientifically inaccurate. I don't know if I heard that before oh, or after. Thing well, like, it's not a documentary, mate. But beyond that, for me, that was never an issue from the first time I saw it. Not just because it's a movie and, you know, the laws of physics don't necessarily have to conform to a movie. But for me, I never, ever, ever saw this movie as a woman spinning uncontrollably in the depths of space. No. For me, the entire movie is basically Sandra Bullock is in bed in the fetal position having wave after wave of panic attack. Yeah. And the movie that we're watching is the visual metaphor for what it feels like when you are in the absolute pits of grief, despair, yeah. and uncontrollable emotion that is that, that is cycling around every 90 minutes yes and every time you just clawed your way out of it oh here it comes again ah, yeah. and you eventually get better and better at dealing with this, these waves yeah. until eventually you stop fighting it you accept it you embrace the fact that you are going to die one day yeah. and you somehow find a way to be able to stand on your own two feet again and get out of bed that that for me is the movie it's not so any kind of like uh, George Clooney wouldn't float away. That's not, it's like that's, 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 that's the point. That's that's the guy on the end of the lifeline phone call going. Anyway, our time's up. I've got to go now. So good luck. You, uh, you, you're and, on your own now. But also, you know, he's the voice of uh, the reminder. You you have to let go, and you yeah. have you have to live. You and have to live. That's what. He gets her to, to say. A, he, George Clooney is the memory in her brain of a grief counsellor, yeah. a dear friend going, yeah. it's going to be okay, you'll get through this. And in the end, he's basically Jiminy Cricket. Oh, you know, he just fuck. shows up as Jiminy Cricket to go, hey, it's so remember f- you've the powers within you, Pinocchio. Mate, that is <laughs> a scorcher of a thing to say to me because I was going to say, uh, like... Like almost the only flaw I have in the film is why have you got Marvin the Martian floating around in the space shuttle? Like, should be Jiminy Cricket because that he is Jiminy he Cricket. He's Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a very handsome Jiminy Cricket. Very in fact, I love George in this film. Um, <laughs> well, in in some ways, it's it's the perfect role for George. Yeah, because he's playing George. Like George, like George is one of those actors where he's always. Yeah. it's hard to forget that he's not George Clooney. Yeah, there's there's actors like you know it's Cary Grant. It's, it's like it's, it's he's not, old school. Exactly, and yeah. it's not a it's not a criticism. It just is the way it is. Um, there's actually a great interview he does with Marin where they talk about that, and yeah. George admits it straight up. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, it suits his sensibility perfectly again because he's not actually. An astronaut, he is this almost this platonic ideal of yeah. uh, of comfort and self assuredness. Yeah. He's often he plays the ideal of how you wish you could deal with a situation. Yeah, and in this movie, it's perfectly it it, it, it suits it perfectly because it's yeah. like yeah, that's when I'm when I like when we'll get onto this. I I suffer panic attacks. Very badly. Right. A couple of times I have night terrors, all the rest. Uh, so I metaphorically have been through everything in this movie a few times a week. Yeah. I go through this fucking movie. Uh, and 
George Clooney in this movie is how you wish you could cope with yeah. it. Where it's just like whistling as you're fucking like, woohoo, yeah. here it comes again, rather than... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he's very—he's uh, a very firm character. Yeah. Like you know, he uh, like there's in that early scene where she's trying to fix uh, finish what she's doing, and mm. he's just like taking complete control, and then yeah. you know, and then but also even even his kind of even his flirting is very gentle and platonic, and it's all about yeah. the eyes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah yeah, 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 and it's knowing how to control tone. Yeah, you know, knowing uh, like I definitely found that working with kids. It's like knowing when to. Cut like cut the shit. We're in a fucking situation now, yeah. and I am talking in a, like concentrate, yeah. And then being able to effortlessly switch into okay, yeah. now everything's a little bit more under control. We yeah. can relax. Okay, come on, ha ha ha, let's go. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a great performance. The uh, I went a little bit broader with my take on the film mm. because I kind of we. we I have discussed this a long time ago, and mm-hmm. I knew that you had something on specifically Stone. And uh, what I've written down is, uh, for me, it's a very spiritual film that reminds us that progress in life is a struggle, yep. but the struggle is worthwhile. So the movie begins with our greatest achievement, which is being able to leave the world, but it ends where we begin crawling out of the primordial mm-hmm. ooze to where we are today. And to me, Stone represents... Like she's, you know, everything that you said is true, and she also represents mm. humanity. And it's only after that she accepts everything that makes life what it is—excitement, yep. daring, ingenuity, despair, death—that she can truly be alive. One hundred percent. Yep. And it's all wrapped up in a fucking crazy ass movie that is. So when the film finished, so I've broken this down into increments for us to discuss. Yep. When I finished the film before the credits, this movie is eighty-three minutes. I know it's outstanding. It's like unbelievable. Yeah, hundred uh, what an hour and twenty minute movie. Yeah, and it does not let up. Oh, it's like thank God. Like I don't know if I would have coped with an eighty fourth minute. <laughs> like eighty three is heaps. Yeah, um, but it doesn't need. It does not need to be five seconds longer than it is. No, no, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, is the opening scene in this movie one of the best depictions of the vastness of space and how insignificant in the universe? It's phenomenal, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. you're just like looking at the Earth, yeah. looking at space, yeah. and then eventually something comes into focus. Yeah. And it is like, mm. this is the calmest moment in the movie, and even that gives me a panic correction, <laughs> right? Well, how do you... like that, that, that's, a, that's a question. Do you... When you consider the vastness of space or the universe and how ridiculously small we are within it. Yeah. Does that, like, how does that make you feel? Does that bring you a sense of peace or does that freak you out? No, it freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> I, look at your face. Like, no, it's like, it, it's like when you, when you truly engage with it, yeah. it's because it's beyond your imagination. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I remember, uh, Oh, I can't tell you because you haven't read it. Anyway, there was something in Ryan Hughes' novel, XX, that about five pages from the end, I had to put it down because I had a mild little reaction. What, it just reminded you of your insignificance? Oh, he he just somehow managed with words to... uh, I won't ruin it, but just... uh, He just managed with words to make me think of certain things in a way that I right. had been incapable of thinking before 
and yeah, yeah. Uh, even though it was great and I loved it, I had to with five pages. You know what it's like yeah, when you've yeah, got five yeah, pages yeah. to go. You are going towards the end, and I had to put <laughs> you the book flung down it and, across the room. And <laughs> I was just like, uh, "You need to go down there for a moment while I just okay, yeah, I'm back from right. the edge." Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. yeah. I I have the I have the complete opposite reaction to that. Right. It makes me it brings me a sense of calm that very few other things do. Right. The the utter insignificance of everything yeah. brings me and I understand how it's pretty existentially devastating because the truth is nothing nothing matters. Yes. It really doesn't. No. Nothing matters. No. Like, you know, and we can and and and, and, always, and it, it, sorry. Oh no, I always think of you know in Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman uh, the Seasons of Mist yeah. and uh, Lucifer the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Lucifer's taking Morpheus around while he's closing up uh, hell and there's <laughs> that one guy who's chained with yeah. and he's just uh, you know I destroyed kingdoms. Yeah. I ate children. <laughs> I drank their blood. I deserve to stay here. And like Lucifer's like, mate, no one's thought of you in like four thousand years. You can go, mate. No one gives a shit. Yeah, no one gives a shit. No one gives and a shit. And it's like, you know, of course things have meaning and they matter in the subjective. That, like we have to, we have to bring meaning to our lives and to the way we conduct ourselves on Earth. Otherwise, it's just carnage and horror. And and, and so in that sense, it. It matters. Yes. I think I struggled for a long time with that binary thinking of like, either it matters or it doesn't matter. And it's like, no, 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 it's, they're both. Yeah. It, it, it both is, matters and doesn't matter at all. And you are both completely insignificant and also this incredible series of unlikely coincidences that have manifested you here. And it's profoundly significant. Yes. Um, but the ultimate objective truth that if you zoom out none of it matters yeah. is it, i don't know why it, it, it makes me feel so free and like oh cool pressure's off like it really like it doesn't matter yeah i i don't disagree with that it's hard to get right like i feel like i've applied that to the world of stand-up yeah. and how i feel about comedy specifically mm. in this country and i'm not entirely certain I've gotten the balance correct or maybe I have like I don't really know but you know we've talked often about yeah, yeah, yeah. wanting to uh, be true to the art form but looking around you and I've just decided there's just stacks of heaps of people that I just never need to see again yeah. because we have nothing in common uh, they say nothing of interest to me I'm sure in turn I say nothing of interest to mm. them and I just like I'm 50 in September. Yeah, I want to I want to have interesting people around me yeah. that are inspiring me or you know it's even like I was talking to uh, Tom Gleason we caught yeah. up yeah, and yeah. I was saying like the last time that I really enjoyed stand up was when last year we did a little mini tour. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the year before we did a little mini tour. You and, and him. Yeah, yeah, and it was great because we were in the uh the healthy way of saying it, we were competing against each other because mm. I'm going up before him. I have to... Everyone's there to see Tom, so I have to do everything I can to command that room yes, yes. to be, enjoy me. And then, as he was saying, he was like, then he sees me kill and he has to now make sure that everyone doesn't think, oh, okay. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. But it was good. And then we would discuss comedy and we would break it down and we'd throw ideas to each other and we had such a great time. Yeah, it's great. And then I go to other venues and then you turn around and it's like well like mm. I don't want to 
there, there, there's no healthy competitiveness here because yeah. no one's talking about anything that I relate to or or vice versa or your take on comedy is different and I'm in these venues that you know hey you only have, you only have to do 10 minutes it's like 10 minutes how do you craft yeah, anything yeah, in yeah, 10 yeah. minutes at this stage well there's know? competitiveness but it's very toxic and non toxic, non-collaborative yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and like you know like that Ah, that just that grotty pissing contest. Yeah. So you're trying to so finding that balance between significance and insignificance and and both being true and finding a healthy way through mm. it is I think a good thing to aim for, but mm. whew, it's difficult. Oh, it's difficult. But yeah, I I don't know. Like I feel like the only the only real pe- like maybe this is just fucking a reflection of how f- twisted my head is but like the only the only time I feel real peace mm. is when I'm in nature or looking at the stars or whatever and mm. I'm fully aware of the finiteness of my life and mm. how and it doesn't it doesn't scare me at all like mm. it's uh, um, but it, 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 it brings me a real sense of peace that I, I will go one day and like that demon in hell it's like I, the memory of me won't even last 4,000 years and that's Fine. Yeah. You know, I, when Philip Seymour Hoffman first died, first died, when Philip Seymour Hoffman died, yeah. uh, uh, it was around the time of a comedy festival, uh, yeah. 24, whatever yeah, year it right. was. Uh, and I, I, when I used to sit on the bench outside the town hall ragging on everyone, I'd usually have like a thematic question every year that I'd ask everyone that I talked to. And that year it was um, off the back of him dying. It was like, I would ask people if, you could live till you were like 95 and it was a great like great life it was a fantastic life you had good friends great experiences connections love all of the rest and but you know when you die the people that love you will mourn you but the wider world yeah you know you're not going to get an obituary in time magazine or would you take the reality where you had another whatever it is five years but when you die you leave behind a body of work that people really respect and revere and rah 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 Mm. and you could tell a lot about how people about a person the way they answered that yeah and the most needy pathetic people were the ones like oh I want to leave behind a body they never remember me (laughs) you fucking loser mate mate doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't even matter. Like, look it at Shakespeare. Shakespeare wrote all these incredible plays. What do we do now? He didn't even write them. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and beyond that, it's like, and, and how long? How much longer will it last? Yeah. And, and, and at any rate, no one's remembering Shakespeare the man. It's just become no. a word. Yeah. Like uh, even Einstein. It's like yeah. no one's remembering Albert Einstein. They're, oh, well, he's like oh, he's like an Einstein. It just becomes a, 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 an adjective. It's yeah. not even. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't mean anything. So yeah. yeah, you leave behind it. Rudy Valentino. People lined up around the block. Yeah. yeah. For his funeral find me 10 fucking people alive today that know the name rudy valentino it doesn't matter mate i mentioned that i watched the movie shampoo and uh, starring warren Beatty, and the person that i was talking to had no idea who warren Beatty was and they're 37 of course like so I, they couldn't even remember that he was the guy that read out la la land you know it's like fuck yeah it's um so like i think in leaning into that the very true fact that you are insignificant doesn't necessarily need to be existentially devastating there can be a sense of freedom that comes from that yeah yeah Uh, FYI 
uh, we first hear about the news of the Russians shooting down a, sev- a satellite seven minutes into the movie. So it's like seven minutes in that yeah, we hear the yeah, first yeah. news. And then at the 10-minute mark, Houston is telling the astronauts to abort. Uh, we have a long history of films where our heroes are stalked by relentless killing machines, Jaws, Halloween, etc. Where does space debris sit with you? <laughs> <laughs> It, it's definitely in that pantheon because, like those other ones, it, there's it's non-negotiable. Yeah. As a kid, that was always the movie villain that was the most terrifying. Yeah. The one that you couldn't just go, no, please, don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then maybe you could talk them out of it. Yeah. It's like the draw, <laughs> like the shark. You can't yeah. say, hey, excuse me, do you mind uh, just yeah. not eating people? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Or the Terminator or whatever. Terminator, yeah. Um, man, you know I would love to see a Gravity Dunkirk double at, at IMAX like because you'd only be there for three hours yeah yeah but you would have aged 10 years <laughs> yeah I'd be so exhausted but it did remind I'd love to know um, because I know when because Interstellar came out the year after and they asked Nolan if he'd watched it and he said I just can't watch anything like that because it'll you know, because right. they asked him if you watch Gravity. Gravity, yeah, yeah right. and it's like, I, you know, I can't watch something while I'm working on something yeah, yeah, similar because yeah, you start then contrasting, comparing. So you had to wait until he'd done Interstellar before he saw it. But I'd be fascinated to know if Gravity had any influence on Dunkirk in any way in oh, the yeah. tightness and the fact that the Germans are the debris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you never see the Germans. They're like the shark in Yeah, that's true. In Jaws that's true. as well. So that's what made me think of it. Um, where does spinning uncontrollably fit in your top list of things you never want to experience? I experience it most nights. <laughs> ah, oh, good. Man. That, that, like, I don't, I, I, have you, do you have panic attacks? Have you ever had one? Uh, if you have to think about it, probably not. You know, uh, I have moments of anxiety, but yeah. I don't think I've had the panic attack like when I talk yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. the the Ryan Hughes thing that was like a bit of a oh Jesus but yeah. it but that, that's what it, that's fine. what it, that's what it feels like right oh okay well maybe I it have. feels like you are spinning no, no I mean in this movie it yeah. feels like you are completely untethered yeah spinning through the vacuum of space you can't breathe yeah and you think you are going to die yeah I, and and it doesn't matter how many Times I'll have one. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm better with age. Like, I can have one in the middle of the supermarket now, and you probably wouldn't even really know it was happening. Right. You're just um, thinking, man, that guy's really concentrating on which spread to buy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is that feeling of, uh, I, I'm, I'm out, I'm out of, con- I'm yeah. out of control. I can't yeah. get my bearings. Yeah. That, that vision of her when the camera's in her helmet. Oh, and yeah. And you're just seeing the earth. <laughs> Yeah. That's, I mean, anyone listening to this that knows what I'm talking about knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and just that, yeah, it doesn't matter how many times I have one. I, my, there's a part of my brain going, this is it. You're going to die. Your heart's about to explode. You yeah. are, you are going to collapse on the ground. I had one bushwalking a couple of weeks ago and it was my fault. I hadn't hydrated properly and I hadn't eaten properly. And we got stuck in this very thick brush right. that we couldn't find our way out of. Right. And it's like, you feel it coming. You just yeah. feel like the boom. And even like I was sitting on a log saying to my friend, dude, if I drop dead, I'm dead. Like there's no, we can't get rescued here. And he's like, it's fine. You're having a panic attack. Just here's a muesli bar, breathe it out. You know, you eventually come back. Yeah. But it is like you have to introduce a George Clooney into your own consciousness to go, it's okay. Yeah. 
Take my hand. I've definitely had panic attacks when I've realised the assholes I'm stuck on a road trip with. <laughs> oh, no. Three week tour with this. Oh, no, why'd I say yes to this? It's not even paying that well. Uh, I constantly have George Clooney in my head, so that is. Uh, oh, that's so, why you never have a panic attack. Uh, yeah. yeah. So every time I'm about to lean into it, there's George saying, Come on, Hamlet. That moment, that that scene of going, watching her spinning oh. around, then her untying herself, and then being, and then watching her spin, <sighs> and then lost in the in the darkness and mm. the vastness of space, yep. and then even like it's even like even when Clooney finds her, and you know, he, once again, he kind of comes out of the dark. Mm. You know, mm. it, it fits in with your metaphor as well of um, you know being representative of Stone's life ever since her daughter died yeah. and being lost. And, you know, once again, he is the the person that comes looking and does everything that he can to help you her okay? up until I'm that just point. checking in. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's an element of cosmic horror in yeah. with that as well. That, yeah. that kind of Lovecraftian thing of yes. the, the understanding of you are a speck and this... What you realise about nature is it's not hostile. Yeah. And space is part of nature. Uh, it's not hostile. It's it's almost scarier than that. It's completely indifferent. Oh, it's completely it's indifferent. It's completely... Yep. I've had moments like that out in the bush where it's like... It's not that things are out to get me. Mm. It's just that if I collapse and die here, mm. the trees aren't going to give a shit. Yeah. Moss will grow over my bones. Yeah. Things will eat me and that, yeah. that's it. Like, it's just not... That, that, that is not scary, but, you know, you have to reckon with that. It is the most important lesson I learned from issue 53 of... Uh, oh, no, issue 50 of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Because, <laughs> you know, it's the good versus evil. Where is, uh, where is evil in the woods? You know, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the 16-minute mark is... Like, 16 minutes is when the movie becomes a tale of survival. Um, if you had to be tethered to someone who was going to drag you along to a space shuttle, who would that person George be? George Clooney. <laughs> I've got George Clooney as well. Like, I can't think of anyone better than George Clooney. George Clooney or someone like Brian Cox, the uh, space documentarian, because I feel like he'd be... He'd be pretty good. He'd be like, isn't it amazing? Like, yeah. yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Anyone you know? Um, no. Nah. <laughs> I'd like to put my hand up. I think I'd be good. You think like, you'd be good? I, I think, think you'd I'd be good. I think I'd be good. If I was by myself, I'm fucked. Yeah. But if someone else is panicking, I'll step up. I feel like I'd be like that yeah. as well. Yeah. I feel like I'd be kind of, you know, it's all right, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, 
Anyway. After I tell you how I had a meltdown in the bush, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's so easy to talk yourself up when you're not in space I mean, I think, uh, you know, like, I, I don't think you could underestimate the absolute existential horror of being off your planet. Oh, God. Like, <laughs> that, nah. you know, because I asked my friend the other day, because I've got this, you know, I mean, it's incredibly decadent and dis- disgusting considering the environment, but if someone gave me a ticket to shoot up into space, I, in a heartbeat, I wouldn't right. even hesitate. Right. Straight up. Uh, and I was asking my friend the other day if he'd do it, and he's like, I don't know, and I was like, $10,000, would you do it? And he's like, probably not, not for 10 And I was like, Really? You wouldn't spend $10,000 on going up into space. And he's like, I just think that I'd get struck with the whole postmodern thing of, and, you know, having seen so many movies about the, you know, and so many documentaries that once I was up there, I just don't know if I'd feel the awe. And it's like, if you didn't, if, if you shot off the planet and you were floating up in space looking at the earth for real and part of your monkey brain didn't go, <laughs> like, you're officially dead inside. That's crazy. No, I, I feel that in a plane. Yeah. Like, I feel that in a plane yeah. flying over. And you've like, done it a thousand times. Like, like stacks of heaps of times. I know. And, and it's like, I've had profound moments of, of sadness. Like, I remember when we had really awful droughts and flying over the country and looking down at the green algae mm. water mm. and, you know, the parched land. I've... You know, I've 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 had moments of, you know, absolute uh, kind of uh, panic. I guess as I've watched a storm, as the plane's coming in, <laughs> yeah. watching a storm, a lightning storm come towards us in Brisbane, yeah. and we landed, and then the storm hit as we landed, and then we had to sit on the tarmac for uh, half an hour while the storm passed yeah. over us. I've I've been blissed out. Like totally. I I remember listening to. Max Richter's album Sleep oh, while I was reading is. a Neil Gaiman book actually and looking out at Sydney at night as we were coming into land and just being like oh look at the clouds and the way the moon is mm. lighting up the top of the clouds yeah. and how beautiful the city looks so what's your friend talking about? Uh, he's, an, he's a fucking idiot. He's like, you can sit there looking at a tree in the bush and feel the awe, but you wouldn't feel the, the awe of watching the fucking planet spin on its axis what every you 90 about? minutes. You're out of your mind, no, mate. That's crazy. I do believe, though, that when space travel becomes uh, ubiquitous, I do believe that the awe will wear off very quickly. Oh, yeah. Like- I think that it'll be, it will become every day, uh, you know, and I think people will shoot up and fucking, ah, look at that, isn't that cool? Oh, yeah. After we after we see half a dozen selfies in space, it'll oh. be like, oh, well, that's all done. But I think I think for the person itself, like, like for the individual, I think you would... It, like, how could you not look at the planet Earth and... Like you are in the tiniest <laughs> of percentages yeah. of people or living creatures that have a, have left the planet. Well, like but left I, the planet, but not just left the planet. Be, in the tiniest percentage of creatures that could even comprehend the meaning of that, floating right. above it and watching all the continents shift underneath you. And right. In a fucking heartbeat, I would go up. Like it wouldn't. It's not even like. Again, I know it's like, oh, it's jet fuel and everything. Yeah, okay, cool. I've never, you know, don't eat meat, don't have kids, haven't driven up until a week ago. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll use my carbon footprint quota to on, shoot on up and have one. a look at the fucking planet. I'm, I'm a firm believer in, uh, like, I, yes, there are so many things that need to be solved here. Mm. Uh, hunger, poverty, all of those the things. Environment. Uh, the environment, like, but, all, but specifically for people, mm-hmm. like, I... 
I do believe we have to divert money and put things into those uh, situations and those problems. But I'm also a big believer in space travel, mm. and I think it is part of our DNA to continue to yeah, go out there and the look like I am. I am way too excited about the James Webb telescope. I read about that every that, day. There's no, there's no such thing as too excited for something like that. That's, oh that's what you should be excited yeah. for. Like, you know, like I've been sitting on tenderhooks as they've yeah. slowly been opening up the telescope, like little bits of origami, just yeah. like make sure it works, make sure it works. And it's like they've given they, – they said they're not going to release – uh, the first lot of photos are just going to release them all at once and they said we should be getting them around uh, May and I'm like great great that gives me something to look forward to see we'd live in a much better society if people were as as excited I'm not even going to say more excited as excited for the James Webb telescope as they are for Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness yeah absolutely I am a bit excited for that though. I'm excited for it but I like Sam Raimi um <laughs> At the 22-minute... Mark. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd be as excited if it wasn't Sam Raimi. I reckon he's just going to be crunched down into the Marvel... Do you reckon? Yeah, of course. He's, but he's a better director than Taika and James Gunn, and they've managed to put their imprint on Marvel movies. Maybe. Like, I... Maybe. Well, I, I just think uh, who was I talking to? We were. Um, if you if you if someone put a gun to your head and said you can only look at the James Webb telescope photos, James or, Webb. yeah, good, very very good. Well, let's not be crazy. Okay, it's all about James that's Webb. Good. I'll be fine. Someone can tell me about Doctor Strange. <laughs> at the twenty-two minute mark, twenty-two minutes. We're still only twenty-two minutes yeah. into this movie. This podcast is going to go longer than the movie. At the twenty-two <laughs> minute not unusual. mark, <laughs> not unusual. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we see the destruction of the shuttle and the dead bodies in there. And yeah. A couple of nice yeah. fucking jump scares, aren't yeah. there? It's like, yeah. Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but once again, this reminded me of the scene in Jaws where Dreyfus dives into the boat that was attacked by the shark. Yes. It feels like it's not necessarily uh, would uh, correlate minutes-wise, but at storytelling-wise. Mm. And that corpse suddenly... <laughs> into oh. the. And this leads to the journey to the Russian station where Bullock tells a story about her daughter. I just think this is a beautifully acted scene. Mm. Where, where do you stand on Sandra Bullock? Because like, she, to mm. me, is a, a proper... Like, she's, yeah, a, she's, she's a proper movie star, like a proper Hollywood yeah, movie yeah, star. Yeah, 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 she's great. And there's something... Look, I'm not that keyed into celebrity stuff, but she seems to be one of those big female stars that's been able to not be the subject of a thousand gossip magazines all the time. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And so I find in that sense, when I see her, it's much easier to get lost in the role that she's performing because I'm not kind of... Yeah, she's not bringing residually aware, yeah, residually yeah. aware of what she's up to in her personal yeah. life. I always wonder... So that's so funny that you say that. I wonder if that's... You know how many people will actively talk about how they dislike Nicole Kidman as yeah. an actor. And when I see her in movies, invariably I think she is beyond excellent. Yeah, she's fucking great. And I feel like it's the baggage that they're bringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I feel like that might have worn off in the last 10 years a bit. I remember in yeah. the early 2000s, there was a real like, ah, oh, she's cold and all the yeah. rest. Uh, but I no, I always... I always liked Nicole yeah. Kidman. Have I told you how Nicole Kidman busted me smoking a joint in a cemetery? No. <laughs> but what a great time to bring it up. 
This is in my early 20s. I used to work at the North Sydney Hospital Cafe. Right. Which was connected to a cancer ward, a perfect job for a hypochondriac. Yeah. Uh, and I was friends with... The, 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 me and the crew were all dirty stoners. And so on our lunch break, we'd duck over to the cemetery across the road and smoke weed. Uh, and <laughs> there was this one... <laughs> It sounds like a make-up, made-up story. I swear it's true. No, no, I believe you. Her dad used to be one of the head surgeons at that oh, hospital. Oh, right. So, where um, me and this woman, Lynette, uh, uh, go over to the cemetery, and Lynette was one of these seekers. So, every week she was into a different... If it wasn't Scientology, it was astrology or runes or whatever. Right. Uh, and then one afternoon, we're over there smoking a massive... Well, just out in the open, because it was one of those older cemeteries that yep. very few people are around. Yep. Uh, we're smoking a massive joint, and over the ridge comes this, like, radiant, golden-haired woman. And I'm off my head, and I'm, like, waving a cloud, like, shit, someone's coming... <laughs> And as we're kind of stubbing the joint out, I go, Lynette, is that Nicole Kidman? And Lynette goes, oh, my God, it's Nicole Kidman. And it's fucking Nicole Kidman. Wow, that's so <laughs> like funny. The, probably one of the more surreal moments wow. of my life. Wow. It's Nicole Kidman and her dad. Yeah. And Lynette leaps to her feet and like starts running towards her. And I'm like, Lynette, get back here. And like running after her going, don't fucking, what are you doing? Right. And she runs and like Nicole Kidman's got this like, Bemused grin on her face, yeah. like here we yeah. go. <laughs> and Lynette runs on. She's like, "Oh my god, I loved you in the Stepford Wives." Um, and I still remember Nicole like looking at us with this like smile, just going like, "Hey guys," yeah, <laughs> like reeking a pot, yeah. And I'm like grabbing Lynette, like trying to steer her yeah. away, like let's get out of here. Yeah. Um, Dad was furious because we're in our cafe uniforms oh, with our no. name tags yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was fucking wild. If she'd been by herself, you could have run up with the joint and said, I've Come seen on. Eyes Wide Shut and I know you like a little spliff. Oh, that- she, she was, like, I've, I've, I've met two or three big stars in my yeah. life. And they, you know what I'm talking about. They have like a glow about yes. them. Yes. And she had a, she was radiant. Yes. I mean, I was pretty stoned as well, so maybe that glow was... No, 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 but... uh, No, 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 I know what you mean. I remember I did a little, uh, just a little five-minute interview uh, when I was on radio with Michael Fassbender. And, like, we we, we literally stood, like, a metre in front of each other. And, you know, he's a handsome dude and everything. And I was looking at him, and he was... uh, He was looking straight at me talking, and I was just like, Uh. oh, I wonder, like, would it... Can I steal a little kiss? Like, he's so handsome. He's so handsome. <laughs> Why'd you do that? You're not gay. It's like, I know, but he's just so handsome. It's just like... <laughs> this transcends sexuality. Yeah, like I'd do the same thing to the Mona Lisa or the Statue of David <laughs> if I was allowed. Just, just a little just a little peck. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, can I tell you, there's such a... For a movie that's a very bombastic film, yeah. in, the, in this movie, when Sandra Bullock's talking, starts talking about her daughter and... There's just such a nice little touch when Clooney realises where the story's going and he turns off the, the music. Yeah, oh, the music, yeah. Turns off the music. And mm-hmm. it's just a nice little... Mm. Uh, what's the mirror? Oh, he, and when he makes a point of pulling out the mirror so that he can actually oh, yeah. see her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as she's telling the story. Yeah, it's all It's all very... Uh, it's a very sweet moment in a, mm. in a, in a where you're learning about the character. And yeah, all yeah. That. Um, by the time we get to the Russian base... It is the 31-minute mark. Crazy. Like, so much has happened. Third of the way. Right, 31-minute mark, and this is when we lose Clooney. Can you remember your reaction to this scene the first time you saw it? Because 
I, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, bye. Bye. <laughs> so, what? <laughs> what? I, I think I remember at the time feeling like, no, because that realisation of like, fuck, she's on her yeah, own now and yeah. she might not be ready to be on her own. But also realising in a story sense, he had, sense. To, he had to go. He had to go, yeah. You know, yeah. she, she, what, what she needs to accomplish cannot be accomplished yeah. with him around. I think, it, like, it made sense. Yeah. But in the moment, I was yeah. like, G- George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Hold on to him. Actually, I was sitting there going, <laughs> uh, that's not how gravity works. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, Neil. Um, <laughs> I do love Neil sometimes. But sometimes. But he's, but also, like, relax. pointing out. But also, when you see a film... Uh, you need the logic of the film to be correct. Yeah. You don't need, like, I, I don't, it's yeah. like, you know, my favourite, favourite thing is when people would say, oh, you know, I like, I like Nolan's Batman trilogy because it's realistic. It's like, it's not realistic. He dresses up as a bat, you fucking idiot. Uh, and he's a ninja. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's not realistic. Like, the, the logic within the film is it's, consistent. Yeah. yeah. But... Yeah. You know, I used to do a routine about, I'll give you a realistic version of Batman. Young billionaire boy sees his parents murdered, gets fucked up, does a lot of gear, you know, fathers a whole lot of children outside of wedlock, you know, runs his business into the ground, goes into rehab, comes out as a born-again Christian at the age of 30. Like, that's... Guess what that is? That's the realistic version of Bruce Wayne. Oh, totally. You know what I don't want to do? Watch three films of that. (laughs) (laughs) The realistic version of if you were going to go down the Batman route is the first time he puts the costume on, someone shoots him in the fucking head and that's the the end. Yeah. Oh, good story. (laughs) That's a seven-minute movie. Um, But uh, all all of that stuff is uh, phenomenal. Uh, Bullet getting inside the station, you know, that's when we have that... Mm beautiful shot of her looking like a baby mm, in the womb. Mm-hmm. Is that is that possibly one of the most beautiful cinematic shots in oh, it's, movie yeah, it's history? Stunning. It's phenomenal, it's isn't it? And it's... Uh... Because you kind of... What, what's great about it is you kind of... I remember this very distinctly. You clock what is happening just before the image yeah, settles, yeah, 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 which yeah, is yeah. kind of... Amazing, and it's iconic enough. Uh, this is uh, I watched this movie way back when with a seven or eight year old, uh, and I remember her saying in that show, "It's like, oh, she looks like a baby." Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's you know, and that's not to diminish like, oh, it's a really obvious visual thing. It was, it's, it's beautiful. The, yeah, uh, even a little kid can see it, yeah. and it, you know, it's the yeah. There's um, it's a very moving image, oh. Espe- uh, particularly after the chaos. Yes. That has come before it. Yes. Because don't, don't forget, just before that, you know, it's it's been five minutes of her, <gasps> I'm running out of there, oh, I'm running yeah, out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my Lord. Like, you know, uh, so th- that reminds me, uh, I forgot to write this down. What's the thing that makes you the most panicked when watching this film? For me, mm. it's grabbing things in those gloves. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, not being able to get any tactile grip on anything. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, not to objectify, but she looks fucking amazing as oh, yeah. well. Like, she is, uh, like, a stunning human in the, to come out in to be in that scene. It's yeah. just like, oh, my Lord. Well, again, it's the contrast of she's been in this, like, not dehumanising space suit, but, you know, yeah. it makes everyone look the same. Yeah. And then when she comes out of it, it's like there's that, 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 that real humanity yeah. of seeing, like, the human being inside this giant protective suit. Yeah. Um, watching the station be destroyed is... Uh, I, I feel Ugh. like it, it's full on, but there's something satisfying about it, and it made me think, like... It's its like when you see uh, Ned drop the 
Death Star, Lego Death Star. <laughs> and you see it shattered. You go, oh, yeah, I, I know that feeling. Um, interesting, uh, something that I noticed is that there's virtually, I think there's no swearing in the filming apart from one moment where she says, shit. Yeah. And so, you know, so I think I've told you before, if I could work out how to do it, I would re-release Woody Allen's Manhattan where I change... Tracy's age from 17 to 27 so it's all so to make the movie completely fine so there'd be all these moments where it's like uh, anyway I just don't know what to do with her she's and then you hear my voice very Australian go 27 right and uh, I would I would follow it up with I'd do the fuck overdub of gravity where it would just be fuck 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 oh fuck oh fucking hell fuck me fuck fuck I'm spinning fuck I'd I'd love to do the fuck cut of uh, of gravity. Release the fuck cut. I think Tom Gleason used to do a joke about um, like Godzilla. There's no swearing in Godzilla, and it's like, and he'd be like, "Wouldn't you be going? It's a fucking big lizard." Yeah. Instead, everyone's like, "Going, oh no, this thing's attacking me." That that space station uh, getting destroyed. Apart from it being one of the most incredible special effects oh, ever, yeah. Has there ever been a frame of film with more visual information in it right. than when that thing is busted apart? It is. I, uh, to this day, I, mean, I rewatched that scene this morning. Yeah. Uh, it never fails to plunge me into anxiety. Oh, yeah. Just like, oh. <laughs> Mate, the, the, the parachute being yeah. stuck, and it's just like, yeah. like there is a part of me around that point of the film that I'm like, can anything else go wrong? Oh, no, sorry. That's the point of the film. But yeah, can yeah, yeah. anything else go wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like if we're if going back to the metaphor of, you know, panic and grief and all the rest, again, that is what it is. You yeah. know, there's no arc of getting out of these episodes until you're actually out of them. Yes. There's reprieves. Yeah. There's like peaks and troughs. Yeah. But I think the most disturbing thing about a panic attack or whatever it is is that things settle but you know that it's not over yeah you know your body is kind of relaxing for a second just so it can launch into it again right uh and you know again that's what i relate to in that movie of like yeah no it's it's not over you get five minutes to breathe but we're back in in a second but also uh, i guess also following that metaphor through is there's also sometimes you will work hard to get out of a situation and you have to keep doing some extra work oh the part that i relate to so much when is when she's getting out to detach the parachute and she looks and the debris is like and she just yeah. turns back and she's just <laughs> yeah. humming Daisy Bell I think is the song that she's humming to that's, herself I mean that's what it is yeah. you know especially if you're prone to having these attacks in public yeah you know I mean I've had full-blown panic attacks on stage in front of 250 people right and you can't just be like <laughs> Like you just, <laughs> you just right. keep doing, it. and you know, like you're, you're you're probably not crushing anymore because your timing's all weird and everything. Yeah. But you know, you're you're basically staring straight ahead, going la 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 yeah. la 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 la. Yeah. Get on with it. Yeah, you got dry mouth. Yeah, 
Oh, my Lord, that noise. <laughs> that noise haunts me. It always uh, reminds me of the Warner Brothers cartoon where I think it's like a dog, cat and mouse that live together or something. And in, in the end, the dog and cat kind of get a stamp put on their mouths so they can't uh, eat one another anymore. And I always, it always makes me think, oh, it always feels so gluey. And once that happens, even though no one else can hear it, all you oh, feel anyone is hearing is... Done. With every word. Done. And then, you, yeah, you're cool. I've always said you can tell when, uh, probably the audience probably couldn't tell, but if you watch a lot of comedy or you are a comic, you can always tell that someone is about to eat shit yeah. when they make that sound oh, in the back yes. of their throat. Yes. Game over. You're yes. done. If it's, and then their eyes look to the left. Yeah. Forget it. Eyes to the left. Oh, you know, just when yeah. it's, it's that thing of like not being able to stare, look ahead anymore. Oh, right. When yes, they're like the whites of their eyes. It's yeah. game over. You're not recovering. Man. <laughs> I reckon Bullock has dry mouth all the way through this. Um, her, uh, when she makes the radio connection with a random, is it, is it Inuk? Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's Inuk. It is not only a reminder of life continuing on Earth, totally ambivalent to her fate, but once again, uh, another masterclass in acting. Like, you know, in lesser actors' uh, hands, I think that howling like a dog could have been embarrassing. But it's such a true moment. Um, Did you watch the short that shows the scene from the Inuk's point of view? No. I'll show you afterwards. It is... So you see it from so it's just a little short that's on the Blu-ray, oh, I know that. and you get the you get the scene from this yeah, yeah, guy yeah. with his family, and you hear what he's talking about, and what he's talking about, like you know, you see him thinking yeah, yeah, that yeah. her name is Mayday and yeah, all this yeah, kind yeah. of stuff, and he's talking about how he has all these dogs. And one of them is sick and he's going to have to put the dog down. And he's very sad because he loves that dog, but he doesn't really want to. So that's what he's talking about while she's talking about surviving. And the the, the final scene mm. is like it's um, the, the camera pans up. And it was uh, directed, written, directed by Curon's son, who also worked on yeah, this. Right. And the, the final scene is you're, you're watching the this debris coming burning into the atmosphere uh, and you hear a gunshot of him putting the dog down and it's like that's a very beautiful yeah and you know it's very rare that someone adds something to a, a, like a pitch perfect movie and then you go oh well yeah that's great I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. glad that was a nice little bonus yeah something very very beautiful and sweet and sad about it yeah um, well, and, and truthful it's and like truthful yeah. you know it's not just that She's sitting there listening to someone kind of like not experience, like you know, having the best day of their life on no. earth, free yep. of any kind of concern. Yep. The, the language barrier is preventing her from understanding that, you know. Like they've got their shit too. They, yeah, they're, yeah. He's going through a, you know, a, 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 yeah. Well, mm. that's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of a message on what makes worth life worthwhile is being able to find those connections wherever randomly they can happen. Yeah. Um, so at the 60-minute mark, this is the moment that Stone accepts death. Why is it important for Stone to accept death to be reborn? Um, ultimately, that's the only way you can... Well, that's the only way I've found in my life that I can move forward from fear or any... It is to ultimately accept the 
heaviest stuff of, of existence. Yeah. As someone who used to be like a real hypochondriac and just be so terrified of death, it was the terror of death that was paralyzing, that made right. life not worth living. Yeah. That, you know, because life was just this constant sense of anxiety and fear and you know and again if we go back to the panic attack metaphor a lot of the time the only way to get through it is to fully surrender right surrender to the panic attack just surrender to it It, it's it's the fighting it that makes it worse right okay Uh, so what do you do just kind of let it you just let it go you let it it wash over you yeah and a lot of the time it's like maybe i will maybe i am having a heart attack right like i think after you have like fucking hundreds of them you know you're not right you know you're going to get through it but a lot of it is the it's the grinding your teeth and going, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm not going to let this happen. That, that makes it go, okay, well, uh, you want to ignore me? I'm going right. to get louder and louder and louder. Right. Whereas if you're just like, okay, wash over me, go. Yeah. Most of the time it's over before, it's over a lot quicker if you yeah. just let it go. So, but but through that comes the, the, the strength that you've got to find to accept the reality of what's happening. Yeah. Uh, and just on a, on, a, on a larger scale, I think when I fully accepted the fact that one day I'm not going to exist. I don't know. I don't I, That brings me a sense of peace that is profound. Yeah. And has helped me to get over a lot of the stuff that used to plague me. Yeah. You know, and I think ultimately that's probably the, isn't that one of the great things that every human being has to come to terms with at some stage. Yeah. You can fight it kicking and screaming, but you're going to die one day. Yeah. And I'm not. No, you're not. I made a decision. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to live forever. You would forever. make Kurzweil like, going to shoot into space and yeah. live forever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like it's that thing of, you know, uh, do you go out kicking and screaming or do you go out with some modicum of grace yeah. and just accept the truth of it yeah. and, then get, and then just get on with the business of living for however long you've got? Uh, and I think for her to... I don't think she gives up. I think she just surrenders to the reality, which is what then allows her, that little part of her brain to go, wait a second. Yeah. There's a way out of this. Yeah. And, you know, so how did you feel the first time that suddenly Clooney's there? I thought he killed her. I mean, the movie definitely makes you think that he, like... Like, it's it's such a... It's ridiculous. Like, the first time it happens, it's like, what the fuck Yeah, yeah. and then when he's opening the door and he's like, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah, and then he gets in and... And and they really hold on her frozen for a minute, like she is dead. Like, he's, he's, you know, opened the vacuum of space up and killed her. (laughs) He pulls off his helmet, there's that fucking handsome mug, he finds the vodka. And I I just love the very... Like, I love that scene so much. I love the calmness of Mm. him just leaning over and now we're going to turn all of this back on, which is kind of like, you know... The, yeah. the survival instinct of, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Let's just get this back on track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you haven't thought about this, yeah. so why don't you... Yeah. But she had to be in a state of absolute calm to access that part of her memory. If she'd yeah. been hyperventilating and freaking out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think the, I, I think that that's probably the most profound part of the whole movie is yeah. where she's like, okay, it's yeah. all good. There's, um, there's, there was a rumour, uh, so Alfonso Cuaron uh, said that... Uh, Clooney, he kind of implied that Clooney wrote that scene. Right. Uh, and then Clooney has said that he's, Alfonso's being too generous, but uh, there was a the, the scene where um, uh, when she's uh, returning home and he sort of suggested that she he wrote some dialogue about, uh, uh, you know, 
talking to her daughter. So that's what he adds. Uh, so I'm, I'd, I'd love to know because I think they're both not assholes. Yeah. So they probably both did more than yeah. they're giving up. But yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a exhilarating moment, and then it comes back to her, and you realise Clooney's not there, and there's a part of you going, "Oh, George, <laughs> I wanted George to still be alive." But it's it's such a great moment. Yeah. 70 minutes in and Stone is making it to the Chinese base, which is, yeah. she goes full Wally, <laughs> yeah, yes. which is great and nerve wracking. And yep. once again, fingers trying to grasp things. Yeah. Like, and once again, it's not over. It's not over. And then you're seeing the fucking Chinese base yeah. slowly uh, going into the yeah. uh, uh, orbit. So I, um, I read something and uh, I, screen grabbed it but my phone's over there so I'll remember it but essentially that there's no such thing as zero gravity like the space station and astronauts they're not floating yeah, they're, they're falling. always falling they're yeah always, but they're, yeah. you have it on an orbit so yeah, yeah, yeah. you're constantly falling well, yeah, and you're far enough away from the gravitational pull of earth that you're not going down but you yes, are always falling but you're always falling yeah, yeah which is why the earth is rotating beneath you at I th- I'm pretty sure it's a, a rotation every 90 minutes yeah because you get if you're up in the space station, you see the sun rise every 90 minutes. It's yeah. just, but it's not that the Earth is turning in 90 minutes. It's yeah. that you're falling around, around the it. circumference of the Earth That's, every 90 yeah. minutes. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Always falling. Yeah. Um, the uh, So she has to make her way to the Chinese base, and then it's uh, the 76-minute mark, which is the time for one hell of a ride, which is... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like all yeah, of yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. detaching from the spaceship that's going in and yeah. all of her acting in that scene is yeah. phenomenal. And then she hits the ground and nearly like and goes into the water. <laughs> and it's like like I remember at this point going, Oh no, I could like like I don't <laughs> swim. Like this is now like yeah. two things yeah, that yeah, are yeah. freaking me out, and yeah. I wasn't expecting this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was, I was already for the vacuum of space and the anxiety that would <laughs> yeah. give me. I wasn't expecting her to potentially drown because her suit's too fucking heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's not over. Now you're now you're in underwater. Your space suit's too heavy. It looks like the fucking seaweed's going to tangle your legs up oh, and you're going to drown. It's like that parachute's above you and down. you're going to fucking drown again. It's still a struggle. It, it doesn't stop. It just, yeah. It's more, 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 more. Yeah. The difference being that now she has fully accepted, oh, no, this is what life is. Yeah. It is a series of, you know, uh, things, cascading fucking things trying to get you. Yeah. Or just obstacles. Obstacles, yeah. Obstacles. And again, you can fight it, you can hyperventilate, or you can accept the truth of it yeah. and swim around it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not traumatic. Yeah. It just... It is what it fucking is. Yeah. You know? Like, when I... when I Again, when I used to work with kids, you know, whenever kids would fall over and hurt themselves, there was always a part of... My, I don't mean it in a sadistic way. I mean it in the purest, like, altruistic way. There was always a part of me that was kind of like, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, this is what it is. Yeah. You're going to fucking fall over a million times. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, it, my, you know, I, I, my interaction with a kid that had hurt themselves was always infinite compassion. Yeah. But it was never that like, oh my God, are you okay? Yeah. It was always like, come on, let's Here we go, go. Yeah. you know, pat you up, you know. Yeah. And then as soon as the tears are gone, we're not wallowing in this, go. Yeah. Band-aids on, off you go. Part, like, part it, of the empathy is not buying into it. Not buying into it and not... 
infantilizing. Or, or knowing when to buy, like when there's a serious injury. Oh, fuck injury yeah. If your and, arm's broken, let's, yeah. you know, absolutely. But if it's a little bit of blood coming down your knee, let's yeah. patch it up, Band-Aid on, wipe yep. the tears away, back on your feet. Like, that's what yeah. I always appreciate about my grandparents. It was always like, we will indulge this up until a point, and then it is, get up. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Because... Yeah, I I, I, feel, I understand the impulse of many parents and adults to uh, go overboard. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, you've got a scratch. Do you want an ice cream? Do you yep. want a reward? No. No. This is life. It yep. will fuck you up and it has sharp edges and it will do it over and over and over again. And the yep. quicker you realize it's going to happen... Get up, keep going. The easier your life is going to be. Yeah. Ultimately, it's a, a profound disservice to mollycoddle like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, you're setting your child up to be an asshat in the future. Well, just weak, just weak, spiritually weak. Yeah. God, so many of my friends' kids run the catch-ups. Oh, anyway, it's interesting. Uh, being a parent is very different to, um, I, I worry about kids' ability to keep themselves um, entertained. That's, well, the, that's the... I was very good at it. But, yeah, but, but also, it's probably gotten to this point that I was so good at keeping myself entertained. That's why I'm nearly 50 living by myself and the thought of a relationship <laughs> makes me want to uh, uh, fly face first into some debris <laughs> rotating around the world every 90 minutes. Um, okay, segment, who and how. These are a bit difficult because we don't have many uh, to choose from, but which character do you think you would be and how would you react in their place? <laughs> I've already said Sandra Bullock. Yeah, I'd be Clooney, but as I just drifted off into space, I'd try to become one with the universe and send out a message to alien life forms to come and save me, but in the process of doing so, give me superpowers, which allows me to go full Miracle Man on the planet. <laughs> That's my choice. Very good. Uh, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be a great hero. I would fucking... <laughs> No shit would get beyond me. Um, segment. Another chapter in Hammo's long line of make, casting himself as the hero in a movie. Always. Always. <laughs> if, 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 there's, if there's any metaphor, I'm always, uh, yeah. I'm always attributing myself to, the, uh, to the, the coolest person in the metaphor. It's like, you know, um, what did I say about working on a Channel 10 show? Working on a Channel 10 show, I, I said... Um, I felt like Tom York performing at the Grammys. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you fucking psychopath. Might as well. I might, might as well be uh, putting myself in the good place with my... Like, there's no point me saying, oh, I'd be Paulie Shaw. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paulie Shaw. I don't know where that name just came from. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no one's thought that name in a couple of years. Yeah. He's probably really chuffed. He probably just woke up like, from a dead sleep. Someone just mentioned me on a podcast. <laughs> Segment Zero Charisma, which is uh, inspired by the ET put down. Mm. I guess it's the debris. It's no Jaws, is it? <laughs> right? The debris has zero charisma. It's just oh. well, the fire, the the uh, the fire hydrant, or whatever that oxygen oh, yeah. tank is that slams her in the head. Oh my god, the fire hydrant! Like you know, it's <laughs> so much. Yeah. Like the fire in space is fucking terrifying. Dang. Oh god, that explosion that goes off when the space station goes up is all the more terrifying for the fact that it makes no sound. Yes, horrifying. Yes. It's yes. horrifying. Yep. Yeah. Uh, segment better or worse? Ruin or improve the movie with one decision. I've got a great one for yeah. you. When Bullock enters the Chinese station, she now has to fight the Chinese astronauts to survive in a terrible metaphor for American ingenuity. 
you know, so you know, like one of one of my favorite movies, uh, like one of like um, um, not one of my favorite movies, but a movie I was thoroughly enjoying. And maybe we should do this for space policy, yeah. but a movie I was thoroughly enjoying, and then the last. 10 minutes is me going what has this movie just turned into is sunshine oh yeah oh yeah and or it that, turns into Jason Voorhees at the end. Yeah, and that's and that's what I would have added to, you know, she gets over there, the Chinese have been doing experiments and now she has to yeah, uh, yeah. fight with no uh, yeah, yeah. enhancements. They to, deliberately release the debris to fuck up the American yes. space effort. <laughs> you, you go over there, they've actually got a gun that's shooting debris. Yeah. Oh, what? Uh Segment, where are we now? Uh, How close are we to the technology in the film? In 1978, NASA scientist Donald J. Kessler proposed the Kessler syndrome, also known as collisional cascading, as a scenario in which the density of objects in low Earth orbit due to space pollution is high enough that collisions between objects could cause a cascade in which collision generates space debris that increases the likelihood of further collisions. In 2009, Kessler wrote that modelling results had concluded that the debris environment was already unstable, such that any attempt to achieve a growth-free small debris environment by eliminating sources of past debris will likely fail because fragments from future collisions will be generated faster than atmospheric drag will remove them. One implication is that the distribution of debris in orbit could render space activities and the use of satellites Mm. in specific orbital ranges difficult for many generations. In November of last year, 2021, depending on when you're listening to this, Russia destroyed one of its own satellites in space by firing a missile at it. This led to astronauts having to shelter in capsules aboard the International Space station. The destruction generated 1,500 pieces of trackable orbital debris and hundreds of thousands of pieces of smaller orbital debris. Mm. 64 years of activity in space means there are now roughly a million uncontrolled objects orbiting Earth, ranging in age, uh, ranging in age, ranging in size from 1 centimetre to 10 centimetres. Great. Tickety-boo. Jesus Christ. You know, I think... I I love this suggestion for this segment. I think this is a great suggestion that you made. Yeah, yeah. I reckon since you made that suggestion, I've only once read something that's made me feel good, and that was the drones that were firing uh, seed (laughs) pellets into the ground to repopulate the the forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I knew it would be a grim segment, but... um... (laughs) Hey, it's on brand. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a a great segment. Anyway, but normally we would finish with summing it up, but we've already summed it up. I feel like this was a movie that needed to be summed up at the start to kind of really discuss. Uh, We've got some squid bits for you. Alfonso Cuaron doesn't consider the movie to be science fiction but instead sees it as a drama of a woman in space. He also said the main theme of the film is adversity and he uses the debris as a metaphor for this. I disagree with Alfonso because we have it on space policy. Ah, but I, see, I kind of agree with I agree, <laughs> no, I agree yeah. with him but just for the sake yeah, of yeah, yeah, our yeah. segment. No, I'm, glad, yeah. I'm glad we covered it but I don't necessarily consider it a science, like it's a space adventure I guess. Yeah, But well, I'm not it's, sure it's science, science fiction. Yeah, well, it's it's a drama of a woman in space set in a science fiction movie, right? Because it is science fiction because debris wouldn't fly that fast and like oh, it is yeah, fiction, yeah, 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 yeah and yeah. it is science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I, I, I agree essentially with what he's saying yeah. as well. Uh, Curon wanted a lead that could carry the film the way Tom Hanks' character in Castaway is the only person on mm. screen for a large part mm. of the film. Uh, Does that mean George Clooney as Wilson, the netball? 
oh, mate, how much better would that have been? If they, like every time he looked at it, George Clooney's face appeared and said, Tom, you've got to get your shit together, mate. <laughs> mate, stay of the sun. You look like you're getting burnt. Um, uh, lots of near... Uh, uh, lots of people were kind of uh, nearly in this film. Angelina Jolie nearly starred, mm. but her schedule conflicts led to her led her to decline the role. I think she would have been pretty good. Like she's a like in action movies like Salt and things like that. Like you, she she can like hold a screen. Yeah, I don't know. And because um, I'm happy with I like I'm glad it's Bullock. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think Bullock's perfect. Blake Lively was considered. Uh, Marion. Cotillard was screen tested and Natalie Portman was also up for the role. Oh, yeah. Well, like, all would have been good. But, yeah. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was in discussions for the lead role but oh, pulled I'm out glad. to star in How to Talk to Girls, which doesn't appear to have ever been made. I'm glad it was not Downey. Yeah. I, li- I don't mind Downey, but I think it would have been too... whatever. That whole Iron Man, you know, glib well, shtick probably well, would have taken over. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It's it's so funny. You can see him in the role, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just... Um, it would have been too... Hey. I see, I'm really hoping that with him in uh, the new Nolan film that he gets him back to, you know, pre-Iron Man. Mm. Like, it's not to shit on Iron Man, but it's just... No, but it took... It's an it aspect of his personality that became... For 10 years. For 10 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know that he can do more oh, yeah. and you want to see more, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, there were sound effects added to the trailer, but these don't appear in the film. So everyone <laughs> was like, what are you doing? Like, but they added sound effects yeah, yeah, yeah. to try and sell it. Uh, Bullock was placed inside a large mechanical rig with thousands of LED bulbs to simulate space. Getting into the light box would take a significant amount of time, so Bullock would stay in it for up to 10 hours Ooh, a day. How did she pay? Oh, far out. She didn't. Like, what... Like, yeah. Like, how does she do weed? Yeah, that, that's all I ever... Th- you know me, i got to go to the toilet like three times before we record an hour podcast. Mate, <laughs> invariably, I finish the podcast as quickly as possible because I see that moment when you start shifting uncomfortably. Uh, speaking of which, we'll get through this. Uh, the spacesuits had to be redesigned because they don't open up at the front like they do in the film. Warner Brothers started doing test screenings for audiences well before it was finished with crude animation instead of special effects. Initial feedback... This is going to make you so angry. Initial feedback asked for monsters or aliens. (sighs) It was only at the 2012 Comic-Con where the opening sequence was successfully showcased that the studio was finally convinced the project could succeed. That's insane. Anyway, yeah. whatever. Yeah, I know. Studio I people, know. whatever. Uh, the 13-minute opening scene was a challenge to shoot. It took many months to design it and years to shoot it. Essentially, the light was changing from one frame to the other with the actors spinning around the shuttle, the shuttle itself spinning, and the Earth spinning with, while orbiting the sun. So they were trying to get all of that right. It's remarkable. <clears throat> I mean, what, yeah. it's a 10-year-old film, and, yeah. I mean, it looks incredible. Like, incredible. It looks incredible. Like, it still yeah. is... Like, you're yeah, still yeah. gasping at scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's never a part of me that's like, that looks fake. No, it no. It looks very real. All the way. Yeah. Uh, it is the biggest box office hit for both Bullock and Clooney. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they've had some big films. Curon has stated that the movie isn't always scientifically accurate and liberties were needed to sustain the story. Examples include Stone could have just tugged the tether gently to pull Kowalski towards yes, her. Yes, that's Neil but, deGrasse Tyson's big issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Stone isn't wearing space diapers. There you go. <laughs> so that's one of the things that isn't there. Uh, Kowalski wouldn't use his MMU as a personal jetpack zipping around the spacewalking scene as spacewalks are strictly choreographed in advance. Yes. But, but. but, you know. Makes for a good scene. It's a metaphor. Yeah. Chris Hadfield was critical of the way the astronauts were portrayed, particularly its depiction of Bullock's character. When she's faced with a problem, she's panicking and has no idea what to do. Clooney is driving around like some sort of space cowboy, and he's the only one who has any idea what's going on. I think it set back a little girl's vision of what a woman astronaut can be an entire generation. Hey, Chris. Like... I know that you like David Bowie, and I do know that you've achieved something great, but, mate, no. Again. It's a movie. I don't think she's in space. (laughs) Anytime anytime someone criticises, it's like, she's not in space. Yeah, it's a metaphor. She's she's in bed having a panic attack. I like her. I I do like that. Do you think she's been to space and having the panic attack? Again, it's like, you know, oh, she's only had three months training. Yeah, because she's not in space. Yeah. Fucking metaphor. She's having a dream. Yep. By the way, uh, my next... uh, 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 note here for you was Neil deGrasse Tyson had complaints but who gives a shit <laughs> I, do, I do like Neil but yeah it's... but it's just boring it's just boring to watch a movie and come out and be like no no one like if they said this is like a documentary you mm. would say well you've gotten things wrong yeah. but it's a fictional movie yeah. and it's just tedious it's just a really tedious yeah thing. I mean yeah look I'm not I'm, I'm not a fucking professor of anything obviously I would hope that if I was that I would be able to park my analytical brain for an hour and a half yeah and you know and 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 you know of course when you see things that you know aren't you know there's still that part of my brain when I watch a lot of movies I'm like ugh, that would never happen or whatever yeah you know um but you know it's ultimately superseded by yeah, but it's a movie. Yeah, but also, what's the and, movie trying to achieve a, as well? A, what's the movie trying to achieve? And B, back to that Batman thing of like, is it in-world? Does it make sense within the logic of the film? If no, then then it's egregious. Uh, but if yes... Uh... Well, you know what's fascinating is um, a movie that is, I think, pretty technically 100% correct is David Finch's Zodiac. Mm. And so many people I know don't like that film because it doesn't tell you who the killer was. Yeah. Well, I, I but, don't particularly like that movie. I've tried it twice. So don't... But that's... Yeah. He's made a, a like a correct film. Yeah. Have you, not, have you not finished it? No, I've seen it twice. Oh, right. I just don't care for it. It's fine. It's an interesting one. I think that's a great uh, Downey Jr. performance. Mm. Um. I tried to rewatch it. I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, and then I rewatched it, and the first uh, stabbing scene was just uh, just bummed me out. And I was like, I don't need to watch any more of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we've talked about this. I, I, the older I get, the more violence is kind of like. Uh, oh yeah, no, right. I'm the same. I'm okay. the same. Uh, the Chinese space station Tiangong means heavenly palace. The film. Do you know how much the film costs to make? Like I, I, there's there's no. there's an extra there's two numbers, but I think the second number would be the advertising and all of that. But mm. um, eighty million? No. Yeah. Really? So it says one hundred thirty million, but even one hundred thirty million. Thirty million. Yeah, but eighty million, I think, for the actual technical making of the film. Whoa! I think the new Matrix movie was much more expensive than that, and 
this the, is 10 years old and it looks saves better than the new Matrix movie. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That's crazy. It made $723.2 at the box office. You know what's great as well is it's not only a great film, but it's you can get 15 sessions in a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, only yeah, going yeah. for totally. 90 minutes or yeah. whatever. Um, it's funny that the posters all had the tagline, don't let go, when what helps Bullock live is the ability to let go. Yeah. Um, so that's cute. Uh, Ed Harris is the voice of Mission Control. God, it's... I, was gonna, I, I thought you were going to miss that, but yeah, I was... No. Yes. Uh, so that draws a through line to the right stuff in Apollo 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, and Ed Harris is just yeah. awesome. And then, of course, uh, my final thing is, according to experts, as we've already said, Matt doesn't need to drift away to save Stone. All she had to do was give a gentle tug. But we know why Clooney had this scene, though, and that was made obvious at the Golden Globe Awards, which is the funniest thing I've ever heard at the movies when Tina Fey uh, and... Oh, God, who is it? Amy Amy Poehler uh, said that... um, George Clooney would rather drift off into space than spend time with a woman his own age. <laughs> like one of the, this is before he's married to Amal, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but one of the funniest jokes. And then, and then Did I, he laugh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's always had, like, I, I think he's always, I think he's kind of taken the Jack Nicholson role. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. If you want to make a joke about me, that's fine. I can take it, yeah, you know, yeah. I, like, I understand where I am in the pecking yeah. order. So if you want to have a crack, mm. And I, th- I think he did retaliate with, um, you know, some kind of practical jokes where they were very confused, where they were like, sent uh, like a letter from Brad Pitt, which he, because he got Brad Pitt uh, uh, stationery made up and yeah. then wrote a letter to both of them. And then they were like, oh my God, we've upset Brad Pitt. And they're <laughs> getting flowers and I'm like, what is happening here? And they're like, fucking Clooney. Anyway, uh, so 93 minutes is where we've come in talking about this 83-minute movie. Very good. That's very good. On brand. Is there anything else to add? No. I feel like we've Uh, covered it. No, no, no. If you are a person that suffers panic attacks, breathe it through. They get easier as they go. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's good advice, actually. But uh, if you're having a panic attack, just think of George Clooney. Yeah, just George Jiminy Cricket. Thank you to Ben for joining me today. And remember, he will be back next week when we will definitely be returning to the David Lynch series. This time we are discussing his film, Blue Velvet. Some people think that's his best film. I'm not going to say it isn't, but it is pretty fantastic. It might be his best uh, my favourite's coming up in uh, in a few movies. Uh, if I haven't mentioned it before, I won't tell you right now. But anyway, uh, if you haven't watched Blue Velvet before or you haven't watched it for a while, that gives you another week to check it out. A big thank you to our Patreon subscriber of the episode, Tim Unwin. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today and thank you for your support. If you'd like to check out the page, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. I also know that money is tight, but sometimes people still like to contribute. So a top rating review on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcast, that's fantastic. There was, (laughs) who was it? Someone on the Apple podcast wrote a review and the headline was great content. And 
the amount of exclamation marks that they put after content suggests to me that was a that was a sweet burn for Ben Elwin. <laughs> anyway, it made me laugh so much, so I really appreciate that. Uh, also, if you can't be uh, bothered doing a rating or a review, how about just a recommendation to your friends that you think might like our work here? That's just as good. Or just keep listening. You know what? That's pretty fantastic as well. Let's finish today's podcast with a quote from Sandra Bullock and you know what? I think this is quite a great approach to living your best life, especially in these very tricky times. Bullock said, I've made peace with the fact that the things that I thought were weaknesses or flaws were just me. I like them. Isn't that very nice? I think we can genuinely learn something from that. I know I'm going to apply that to me. Anyway, until then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.